0: Ready? Born ready.
1: of Where the Party At, your favorite political podcast. I'm your host, Saba Long, and it is such a pleasure to be with you again for another week. We have to start with the biggest local news story of the week, maybe even of the past few months. You know, there's always something going on in DeKalb County politics, and the latest is absolutely Bananas. And it's even a little bit of deja vu for folks who've been around for a while. So if you have a kid in DeKalb County schools, or you might soon have a kid in DeKalb County schools, you want to pay attention to this. What happened? So last week, the DeKalb County School Board voted to fire the school superintendent. In the words of Joe Biden, this is a big effing deal. So it wasn't just the firing that has folks talking. It's the way the board went about it and what they did. So they had a special called meeting on April 26th. That just means that it wasn't on their regular agenda. The board chair changed the time of the meeting, even though she knew that two board members weren't going to be able to attend at the new time. And so then at that meeting, they went into something called executive session. And that's usually where you talk about a personnel matter or a legal matter, and you can't have that conversation in a public forum. And so in that executive session, they voted to fire the superintendent. Then on April 29th, a couple days later, they had another meeting. Now, this one was with those two board members who weren't at the last one, and they voted to approve an interim superintendent. Now, for DeKalb, for folks keeping track, this is the seventh superintendent in about 10 years. So what happened for the previous person to be put on the chopping block, especially the fact that this happened at the end of April and the school year is going to be over in just a few weeks, right? So we believe what's being reported in the news is the big deal here is about the Druid Hills High School renovation, And y'all, if you've never paid attention to uh, local politics as it relates to school boards, it is the most interesting, uh, the most intense that you can imagine. So earlier this year, Druid High School was on the list of schools to be rehabbed as part of a rehab and modernization uh, project list, but the board ended up taking it off the list. And this turned into a bit of a PR disaster. So even the kids at the school filmed a video showing how badly the school was in need of repair. I mean, it almost seemed like something from an episode of Abbott Elementary. So they showed mold, extensive water damage. There's actual signage that said to stay away from the outlets to avoid risk of electric shock. And this is because of just how bad the water damage was. They showed bathrooms where the sinks were about to literally fall off the wall Um, It was an absolute mess. And so over the past week or so, there's been just a lot of political back and forth and it's gotten a little ugly um, in DeKalb about this. And it just so happens that the state of DeKalb address was scheduled to take place at the same time. And so last week, the CEO of the county, Michael Thurman, in his state of the county address acknowledged what was going on, and he had some strong words for the school board. Take a listen.
0: Superintendent, where's Dr. Tinsley? Did I see her? Stand up. She, we worked together when we were at the DeKalb County. Stand up. <laughs> Wonderful lady. But let me tell y'all something. This look and feel a whole lot like that crap I came to in 2010, and it makes no sense. I didn't do go through all of that. This County didn't go through all of that to go back down that road again. We're not going to accept it. It ain't about the damn, uh, uh, it ain't about the superintendent. It ain't about the the, the school board. It ain't about the school board chair. It's about almost 100,000 children. And I was so angry. We almost lost the DeKalb County School District because of what grown folks were doing on the school board. Enough. And by the way, I don't know whether it's true, but this is what I I want you all to help me figure out. The state school superintendent according to the media, stated that DeKalb County was appropriated $500 million. I don't know whether it's true in federal COVID money. I don't know whether it's true. If it is true, the next question is, can any of that money be used not not just to fix Druid Hill, but fix all the schools? And if if the money can be used to fix the schools, then why don't we use the money to do it? I tell my folks all the time, in government, you watch bureaucrats and politicians like me. We say we don't have enough money, but it ain't never money, it's never the issue. The issue is do we have the vision, do we have the innovation, do we have the commitment and are we willing to put the people before us? I love y'all. I do. I, I, I know the chair. I know all. Of, I do. I love you. I work for you. They are people who want the destruction of the DeKalb County School District. That's okay. You always going to have opposition. Just don't us be stupid enough to open up the door and invite them in to take it. That's all I'm saying.
1: So the DeKalb school system budget is 2B with a B billion dollars a year. That's a lot of dough. Plus, it sounds like they're going to have an extra half a billion in COVID relief money. So seriously, this is a ton of money. And so it makes no sense that one school... Being in need of repair would have this much controversy when there's so much money available. Now, Thurman wasn't the only one raising hell. The mayors of every city in DeKalb County signed a letter saying that they were ready to quote unquote write the ship. Now, here's the main line from the letter, and I quote: "The board's actions over the last few days indicate a need for new policies and procedures." to address governance of the DeKalb School District. We are ready to work with the DeKalb Legislative Delegation to craft legislation, which will protect DeKalb County School District students and educators. Serious changes are needed to prevent the chaos that seems to occur every few years in the DeKalb County School District. That's the main part of the letter. Now, I have to point out that this is all happening in an election year. Two of the school board members are up for re-election, and there's one school board seat that is open because that person is running for the county commission. And then you have the statewide elections as well, right? So according to the AJC, Georgia School Superintendent Richard Woods asked the state attorney general, that's Chris Carr, to make a determination about whether any laws were broken in this process. Did the board break any laws with the way they went about the firing. Now, initially, they found that no laws were broken, but now they're going to go back and look at it again. And yes, Richard Woods, Chris Carr, they are on the ballot this year. And of course, I don't need to remind you, but DeKalb is a strong blue county. Now, the last time something like this happened was in 2010, and the governor at the time, that was Republican Nathan Deal, He suspended six members of the DeKalb School Board, and he had a bipartisan panel nominate new members. And so those were folks who were not elected, but were nominated and put forth and approved uh, by the governor. Now, you all already know the conversation happening in the Republican Party about school districts and local control and what the schools are teaching and what's happening in the classrooms. Now imagine it gets to the point where Kemp decides to step in and that he feels the need to replace these board members with other folks. I think you can easily see where that could end up. Not good. All right, y'all. Another thing, I've been meaning to talk about this for a couple of weeks now and it just keeps escaping me. So here we are. Uh, When Andre Dickens won the mayor's race last year, one of the big things he did, as any new mayor or executive would do, is put together what's called a transition committee. Now these are the folks who help put together a blueprint for the term and help him identify, okay, what are the most important, the big things that I need to address? What campaign promises did I make that I need to make sure that I fulfill? So he had a 40 member committee and that was chaired by two people. One is Sharon Gay. Now, that might be a name that you remember from our Who Runs Atlanta series. Sharon ran for mayor. And then the other person is a guy named Howard Franklin. He is a political consultant and one of the main people who led Andre's campaign. So this uh, committee studied four key areas, and they are, number one, education and youth. Two, ethics and procurement integrity. Three, neighborhood empowerment and four safe streets. And SAFE is an acronym, and that stands for Surge, Arrest, Force, and and Empower. So let me highlight some of the recommendations that this transition committee came up with. Under Education and Youth, two things here. Uh, They said they want to declare 2023 the Year of Atlanta's Youth, and focus on strategic priorities around uplifting the city's kids. The second one was to create a centralized, high-quality, one-stop shop for all early learning centers, so that's after-school and summer programs, plus internships, jobs, apprenticeships, college, and technical college information. So basically, you can go to one location, one site, and literally from birth to uh, college, you have all the information you need on what to do to get that particular education. The other one, uh, ethics. So ethics and procurement integrity. The big thing around this one was supporting maximum transparency and pay-to-play restrictions in procurement. And if you're not familiar with pay to play, that just means that, oh, I give you money and then in return I get the city contract or I get this particular benefit that the other person who did not give you money, they get. Uh, the third uh, topic here was neighborhood empowerment. And from what I've been hearing, they're really going to do a lot around this. Uh, but two things they mentioned promoting eviction mitigation policies through coordination and policy change at the county and state levels. I'm really curious to see what that ends up being like. Uh, Georgia is one state that does not have what's called tenant's rights. Uh, so there are there is no law that says you have to treat a tenant's property in this particular way if you are evicting them. Uh, and the other part of neighborhood empowerment developing an office of neighborhoods Um, again this is the one that i think they're going to be doing a lot of work around because in atlanta we have something called the npu or neighborhood planning unit system all right and then the last thing to round this out for safe streets two big things here develop place-based crime prevention strategies and quote-unquote crime hotspots Uh, And then another one, improving emergency response times. So you can read the entire report. I'm just giving you the highlights. The full report is about 40 pages. So they go in much greater detail on each of these recommendations. Uh, I would say one of the themes that I noticed throughout this is a focus on youth and a focus on education. And that makes sense to me if you think about What does the future of the city look like? You have to prioritize youth and education. Okay, next on the list. Now, there's a saying or phrase in politics, uh, something known as the Friday Night Massacre. This is usually when uh, the president or some other executive in elected office makes a big decision and fires a lot of people or drops like some major, major news. And so uh, Mayor Andre Dickens actually did this on a Monday instead. Uh, If you're listening to us on Tuesday, launch day, he did this yesterday. He announced uh, that he's replacing four members of the Atlanta Housing Board. Now, these were folks who were appointed by Mayors Kasim Reed and Keisha Lance Bottoms. So there will be a new board chair and I believe also a new vice chair. So the new folks are... Sarah Kirsch. Now, granted, before I get into their names, I should add that this is pending council approval. So the mayor is able to uh, put forth his list of candidates and the council has to approve them. But I would be surprised if the council uh, does not approve these folks. So again, let me go back to the names. So Sarah Kirsch, she is the former head of the Urban Land Institute of Atlanta. She's got a ton of experience around housing land use, zoning, all of those types of things. Uh, Next up is Larry Stewart. He is a tech guy and personal friend of the mayor. He actually ran the mayor's uh, post three uh, office, I think a few years ago. And so he's been buddies with the mayor for a long time. Uh, Third person is Doug Hooker. Doug is the former head of the Atlanta Regional Commission He just retired from that role, actually incredibly well-respected throughout the entire region, is known as a really thoughtful uh, person, and so it'll be interesting to see him in this type of role. And then the last person is Duria Faruqi. She is the former COO of the City of Atlanta under Kasim, and she led the Atlanta Committee for Progress. She was also part of that transition uh, committee team that I mentioned before uh, for Andre's campaign. So that's going to be very big and interesting. The mayor campaigned on housing as a big uh, topic area of interest for him. There's been a lot of concern that Atlanta housing isn't moving fast enough to address the need for affordable, low-income housing in the city. And then I'm sure some of you all might know this, The Atlanta Housing has a wait list of 24,000 people waiting to be accepted into Atlanta Housing properties or to get a Section 8 voucher. That is an insanely high number. And that wait list has been on hold, just paused for years now. So if they had actually continued that list and kept a running tally throughout the pandemic, there's no telling how high that number would be. All right, now let me transition into another uh, big story. This is a cool one. This is like some good news. I'm happy to talk about this one. All right, any Yang gang folks out there will like this story. So according to the website for In Her Hands, a guaranteed income initiative focused on putting a solution to financial security directly in the hands of of Women in Georgia is launching, and it's starting in the Old Fourth Ward. This is no strings attached. Uh, The women who are part of this program will receive, on average, $850 per month for two years, and they're going to tap 650 women for the first round of this. The In Her Hands group is focused on three communities around Georgia. I just mentioned the first one is in Old Fourth Ward slash Sweet Auburn, The second one is going to be in Southwest Georgia. So that's Clay, Randolph, and Terrell counties. And then they haven't yet announced the third one. Applications are open now and are eligible to women 18 and up who live in the Old Fourth Ward, Sweet Auburn area. Uh, You have to make at or below 200% of the federal poverty line. So if you are a single woman, that is $27,180 a year. Or if you have a family of three, that number is $46,060 for the year. So how did this come about? All thanks to uh, Atlanta City Councilperson Amir Farroki, who represents this area. So in 2019, he started to look at what it would cost and what it could mean to bring a guaranteed income program to District 2 on the City Council. So this program is the result of that research. And I have to say, it's a reminder of how important it is to elect folks who are willing to think outside the box and find ways to help everyday people. You want to vote for the person who's boring and wonky because they're going to come up with the stuff that's actually going to make a difference at the end of the day. So if you know a woman who may qualify, tell her to go to that website for In Her hands. The application uh, is due by May 15th. I really hope they find a way to tell these women's stories throughout the program and to see what that extra money could mean for their lives. I think that'd be really impactful for folks to hear uh, and see. And uh, by the way, if you're wondering, isn't guaranteed income the same as universal basic income, also known as UBI? That's, again, what Andrew Yang campaigned on uh, when he ran for president. So not exactly. They're not the same. So the stimulus checks that you all got from the pandemic, uh, those were considered universal basic income because everyone received them. It didn't matter if you were Elon Musk or the person bagging groceries at Big Lots. Uh, Guaranteed income is specific to an income level or a demographic, right? And this one is actually specific to two for both of those. It's specific to an income level, and to women, and specifically Black women. So, great program. I'm really hoping uh, that there's some great stories uh, that come out of that. All right, next up. The Atlanta Press Club hosted the congressional debates on Sunday, uh, as well as uh, over Monday and Tuesday, which is today for launch day, if you're listening. Those were the down-ballot races for other seats. I'm going to put a link to the debates in the show notes so you can watch them yourself, and I'll give you a highlights on just the congressional debates. So the first one was Congressional District 10. That seat is currently occupied by Jody Heiss, a Republican, but he is stepping down to run for Secretary of State. Now, the biggest presence on stage was by far... Vernon Jones, he's got a huge personality. Uh, Vernon is the former DeKalb County CEO. um, And he's a Democrat turned Republican uh, and was endorsed by Trump. So if you're a bit behind, yes, Vernon did initially decide to run for governor and challenge Brian Kemp, but he saw the writing on the wall and switched over to Congress instead. So, uh, three big things about this race. Number one, it's a solid Republican district. So even though Democrats are running, a Republican will win in November. Now, if you're a Democrat, that doesn't mean you should ignore the race, but you can treat it like a trial run, get to know the candidates, push for policies that you want to see. Um, so the second thing about this race, a number of the GOP candidates have signed a pledge to support term limits amen i agree with that uh and then the third thing i would say is the most memorable quote uh from this debate was this this was from one of the gop candidates the time for compromise the time for bipartisanship is over um that is never a good thing uh and so when i heard that i you know my head kind of turned on a swivel like oh no This is exactly what's wrong in American politics. All right, next up was Congressional District 14. That is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she actually showed up for the debate, which I was a bit surprised by. Uh, The candidates were asked if they believe Biden won the election. Two of those candidates, including Greene, explicitly stated that Biden lost the election. No surprise there. Uh, But I was happy to hear a couple of the candidates push back and say the gop needs to move away from the big lie again the big lie is that the election was stolen uh, and that biden is not the duly elected president of the united states all right the next race is congressional district six now this seat is currently held by democrat lucy mcbeth it was redrawn to be a safe republican seat So instead, McBath decided to run in Congressional District 7, which I'll talk about in just a couple minutes. So some highlights from this race, uh, Congressional District 6, this is the Republican debate. One of the candidates, uh, she's a former teacher, she said that if elected, she would work to dismantle the U.S. Department of Education. Strange. Um, Another is running for a second time. He got really close in the last election. Uh, And then I'd also want to highlight there is a black woman running in the primary. You don't see a lot of black women uh, running as a Republican in Georgia. She just so happens to be the mother of uh, Josh Smith. You might remember him. He used to play for the Hawks. And then there's uh, an Asian guy also running for the seat. Uh, He is from South Korea. And again, just like in the previous uh, congressional district debate, Some of the candidates in this seat also said the 2020 election was stolen. So this is becoming a central theme throughout the Republican Party. The last one I'll mention here is Congressional District 7. This was a Democratic primary debate, and I would say it was probably the most intense of all of them, actually. So it was Lucy McBath, who I mentioned before, Carolyn Bordeaux, she is the incumbent, and Donna McLeod, a state rep who represents the Gwinnett area. Uh, Donna McLeod is of Jamaican origin. So it got into a little bit of a match about who is most qualified uh, because only two, or excuse me, only Donna technically lives in the district uh, because they redrew the, the congressional districts. And so there's some conversation that Carolyn is not in the district. And then we know that Lucy is not in the district. And so Carolyn said, you know, she was upset and was like, Lucy, you are abandoning your district six to challenge me to keep a seat in Congress. Um, I think there's some merit to that. And Lucy probably said, well, it's easier to take on another Democrat than to try to win a district that has been drawn to be more Republican. So again, you can check out the show notes, uh, the other debates, so Republican and Democratic debates for Secretary of State, Insurance Commissioner, State Superintendent, Lieutenant Governor, and then Senate. On the Senate one, that's just a Republican debate because Warnock does not have a challenger. Uh, There were two big debates that did not happen, and there was a bit of, um, folks were upset about it, I should say. Uh, So, Congressional District 2, that was, that would have been a Republican debate um, for folks who were challenging Democratic incumbent Sanford Bishop. And then the 13th Congressional District, there are Republicans and Democrats in that race challenging Democratic incumbent David Scott. uh, One of the folks who raised a lot of hell about them not having a 13th Congressional District debate was none other than Vincent Fort, um, who is challenging David Scott. And he actually protested outside of the the debate location um, and said, you know, like, hey, what's up? I wanted to be able to debate David Scott, but you all didn't put it on. All right, um, let's give you a quick union update. This one will be super quick. So uh, Starbucks union count is now at 46 When we taped last week, that number was 30. Uh, I'll try to see what happens next week, but it's probably going to be higher than 46. This is moving through Starbucks really doggone fast. It's kind of remarkable to watch. Uh, One other big union update. This story just broke as I'm taping. Uh, The Wall Street Journal just reported that the other Amazon warehouse in Staten Island voted to not join the Amazon union. So according to the National Labor Relations Board, 62% of workers uh, who cast valid ballots from the location LDJ5 voted to not form a union. So this this is such a big deal because the other Amazon warehouse in Staten Island did vote to unionize, and this one, which is in the same neighborhood, basically uh, voted to not join the union. So... Very big deal, and I'm sure Amazon is very happy about that. I'm curious to see why they decided not to vote, uh, decided not to form the union, uh, especially given just how much energy and conversation there was about the um, warehouse that decided to join the union. All right, now let's move on to party poopers and party starters. But first, let me give you an update on last week's party pooper. What's rule number one?
0: Party. No, not party. No, it's not party.
1: So you might remember that I made the Atlanta Braves organization, not the team itself, my party pooper for trying to get a tax break and a special deal from Cobb County, even though they promised that they wouldn't ask for one again. It appears that the peer pressure worked because the Braves quietly withdrew their application to the county. No explanation seemed to have been given, but it seems pretty clear they saw the writing on the wall. Now, it's not the first time a developer has decided to back out of asking for something that they honestly didn't need. Uh, so just a month or so ago, Jamestown, that's the company behind the redevelopment of Ponce City Market, Pulled a request for a big tax break, uh, and why Why are these companies requesting big tax breaks when the market is ridiculously hot? It's, you know, this is a perfect time to be a developer, um, and you've got regular folks who are having a hard time finding affordable housing. The last thing that it seems that any government agency should be doing is giving more money to groups that don't need it. All right, so that's just an update on last week's party pooper. Now let's go to this week's party pooper. Turn off the
0: lights. The party's over.
1: The party is over. Close the gates. What? All right, party's over. Everyone go home.
0: Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your
1: party? I'm the party pooper. It is also a company. In fact, it is the home team... Delta Airlines. Delta, I love y'all. You're my favorite airlines, but I got to make you the party pooper. So we know we talk a lot on the show about unionization. So I didn't realize this, but Delta is the only major airline where the flight attendants are not unionized. So there's a big effort underway for Delta flight attendants to become unionized and join what's called the Association of Flight Attendants. Now, in their negotiations with Delta, one of the things they've been pushing for is to be paid while they are boarding the plane. Yes, Delta flight attendants are not paid when you and I get on the plane and board the plane. So when they're helping you get your carry-on that you overstuffed in the overhead bin, they're just doing it out the kindness of their heart. Like, they are not getting paid for that. I thought that was the strangest thing ever. Uh, So Delta announced that they are finally going to start paying them at half of their hourly rate during the boarding process. Yes, half is better than nothing, but that still seems a little nutty to me. I don't understand why Delta doesn't just pay them their regular rate. I mean, they are doing work. It's like me paying a retail worker only half their hourly wage. Because they're just setting up the store, and we haven't officially opened for business yet. That would be rude. So I don't know why Delta is getting away with paying their flight attendants half. But, I mean, they were getting getting away with paying them none, so I guess that's better than nothing.
0: What's rule number
1: one? Party. All right. I was racking my brain trying to find a party starter and then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to take a point of personal privilege and make this week's party starter the hashtag ATL budget crew. So my organization, Atlanta Civic Circle, plus Capital B Atlanta, which is a black newsroom, Canopy Atlanta, which is a community oriented news outlet. And Axios Atlanta, these are all media outlets. Uh, We are all partnering with the Center for Civic Innovation to help educate the public about the city budget. Now, when you think budgets, you might think boring. I get it. And that's why we are all working together to help you understand the city budget and learn how you could influence what's in the budget. So last week, the article in the series came from Capital B, this week will be from Atlanta Civic Circle, and then next week will be from Canopy, Atlanta. You probably know the saying, uh, where you spend your money is what you prioritize and care about, and so that's the big question about the city budget. So the draft budget was introduced Monday and the final budget will be approved around june 27th or so Uh, and for atlanta the new fiscal year starts july 1. so if you're on social media just use the hashtag atl budget and you'll find those articles and get more information about how you can participate in play a part pay attention to what's happening with the city of atlanta budget all right y'all that is today's show as always as always thank you so much for tuning in i appreciate it it's great to get your texts and field your calls about what you liked about the show what you want me to talk about all that good stuff don't forget to give us a five star rating send the show to your friend to your coworker, so that they know what's happening in the atl in the state and don't forget monday may 2nd was the start of early voting So if you are listening to this podcast, I wanna make sure that you know how to vote, where to vote, when to vote, all of that. So if you're already registered, which you should be, just go to mvp.sos.ga.gov. That's the link to find out all the information you need to know from the Secretary of State about where to vote, when to vote, what's on your ballot. I'll also put it in the show notes. Again, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At. Until next time, see ya.